Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrewer for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare, Peter Coghill and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. And this week, we're discussing seagulls on the top of Chris's conservatory. Chris, um, tell us about those pesky seagulls. Well, pesky is is the word, yes. Um, so uh, where my um, home office is, it uh, looks out over my back garden and uh, I can see the top of my conservatory going out the back of my house. And um, I've been having a bit of a, a bit of a run in with the the local seagulls uh, recently, which have um, taken to uh, dropping moss on top of the the conservatory and then sort of stamping on the moss. I imagine they're looking for so. If anybody can explain this behaviour to me, please, you know, please These send are me an email. Seagulls. These are definitely seagulls and not. Um, not moss strange, stoppers. strange. It's, it's, it's not individual. moss that's been sort of jumping onto seagulls. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely the seagulls dropping the moss and then sort of <laughs> filtering through, it, making a right mess of my uh, of of my conservatory, which is supposed to be transparent and 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 isn't any increasingly any longer. less. So. Uh, anyway, the point is, these things have been uh, sort of in my garden, and I'm now taken to um, every time they so much as land anywhere in the vicinity of my back garden I've got a ball I open up the window and I, I hurl this ball at them and, and shriek at them and, and so on and, and I'm just getting increasingly uh, sort of territorial about their their encroaching on do you know on it's the same property. seagulls every time or is it potentially different seagulls well there's one with glasses and he's uh, he's, <laughs> he's definitely the main culprit um, I'm, as, I'm assuming they're the same maybe this is exactly what the seagulls want you to do as well, yeah maybe. well well so so I've got to the stage now where I think I've raised the the effort for them to sit on my conservatory enough that they now sit on next the next door neighbor's conservatory which as far as i'm concerned is fine um but but this is part of a broader pattern in my life i'm i i for whatever reason uh i seem to be a very territorial person so cats walking around my gun again drive me mad i have to get get them off if get the, the air next, rifle out for those things exactly if the, if the next door neighbor we've our sort of driveway um is is divided by a, a, a sort of line and if the next door neighbor if their tires touch the line i get really twitchy and and um so i was trying to work out what this is all about you know it is, it's just so sort of um you know provincially petty bourgeois and and uh, which is you know not how i like to view myself and yet there's obviously something deep-seated going 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 on there. Dude, so. you've painted a picture which sounds very much like a 1970s sitcom. Exactly. Like it's a, that kind of thing. Like I'm a... the guy I'm the guy who's sitting there sort of twitching his curtains and running out and shaking a comic fist at something or, you know. Um But then um you do live in Bournemouth. That's true. It's very well, much the which which you know, is the the setting for if many. You, if you lived in London, you wouldn't sitcom. have any problem with seagulls. <laughs> no, no, we're much more diverse and accepting in London. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Apart from pigeons. Well, I'm thinking of yeah. the absence of seagulls. Actually, yeah, it wouldn't be a problem. So, okay, um, yeah, I'm still intrigued about you know how how successful you're being with getting rid of these seagulls. But maybe we can come back to that later. Um, why 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 
is Chris. Why does he feel obliged to be so defensive of his territory? And are we all like that or not? Um, Peter? Yeah, well, I think, yeah, I think uh, at, uh, fundamentally we're animals and we, we, we kind of grew up, evolved in a world where we're in a competition with loads of other animals. So maybe there's a part of us deep reptilian brain area that says that anything that's encroaching on what is familiar space to you i.e. where you would normally hunt or gather but in this case is chris's conservatory where he has to clean the moss off the the and and clean the gutters out uh expending some effort is it's 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 uh it's competition so you're you're competing against these creatures um so that maybe that's what it boils down to something as simple as that well, it's not. It's obviously not completely <clears throat> explained by that, in the sense that quite a lot of us are quite happy to share our gardens with a with a, a blue tit or an ant, without getting really riled up. So, you know, there must be something. There must be some other rational process where we're able to assess not just. It's not just purely to do with competing with other animals. There's some other. Well, I think I'm going through. To... I think you know, what I'm suggesting because the seagulls are damaging it in a certain way. They they're putting yeah. dirt on them. If they if the seagulls were like blue tits or ants and they left nothing but actually probably cleaned up after themselves because blue tits take seeds and ants take take detritus away, then Chris wouldn't have a problem with it. See, the fact that Chris is going to have to go out there in three or four months' time, clean the moss off, clean out the gutters. Stop the yeah, also, I think is it fair to say that seagulls that. seagulls have a kind of slightly um, arrogant general sort of demeanor. They, they, they are, something they are, is that their face? Their faces it's, it's, look like it looks like you're lucky to have them land on your house. <laughs> That's the, they give you that look, don't they? That look. No, of, but they are the chavs of the of the of the avian world, aren't they? With their sticky up hair yeah. and yeah. No, they look at any moment they might break into violence. They've got this look about them. And they're just they, big they enough to look chips. like they might hurt. Plus stealing chips. Yeah. 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 yeah I so mean I, I, th- I think the, I think the thing is right. So obviously I'm not in direct competition f- for resource with the seagulls, right? I don't want to eat the moss myself. Um, yeah. At, at least not without, you know, um, a side salad. Um, but um, the so or, so or so it's not it's not maybe. it's not a sort of competition with uh, a, a sort of near peer for you know for the same same resource. So what is going on? I, I think you know there there are other types. So um, other types of sort of territorial encroachment. And I think you know um, this is about sort of contamination of my of my space so you know they're sort of ruining it ruining it for me so i think i think that's what it's um uh, kind of yeah i think this know, this thing about uh you know a sense of what is yours yeah which i think this is about right so what what do you own and in terms of what we think we own it's a very small proportion really of what we legally own you know, so uh, i don't i mean i you know i think you obviously things like your house is defined land has got a huge amount of admin associated with owning land but things like you know the 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 right to to you know be able to um to be able to walk to the station or the right the right to be able to uh you know not have noise or the or the right to you know be able to look at your uh back garden without annoying you know 
uh, adverts and you know think and uh, you know thinking about things online that people are very territorial about um things like social media you know what the what they what people uh feel like that they're, they're you know the the services that they use that they have a sort of right to people get territorial about the products they buy you know about about the brands that they use what and the main name yeah well yeah. i mean there's all sort i mean and there's so and a lot of these things are um are sort of extended are extended territory which aren't necessarily what we would think of traditionally as property but which we as far as our brain is concerned it it is our property and we feel you know aggrieved about people encroaching on it and i and i think you know think about uh things like the number of fights that start because of people um encroaching on personal space or encroaching on you know each other's girlfriends or spilling each other's pints and you know it's clearly a key the concept of ownership uh, is 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 a big driver of a lot of uh, well sensible and stupid behavior um yeah i mean look we're about halfway through i'm not really sure where to go because um i mean to me it just seems sort of fairly sort of simple this is just like peter was saying it's our reptilian brains this is mine it's about a property it's about ownership and it's you know defending one's own territory but beyond that, what can we say? I mean, well, I, su- I suppose the thing is is trying to um, trying to understand that and uh, trying to make sure that it doesn't lead unnecessarily to to disputes, irrational disputes. I mean, you know, Nick was talking about different types of of territory or different types of property that we think we are you know so so physical space is something uh you know objects are are something but ideas and you know things in in the virtual world and uh it's it's you know it's understanding this instinct of uh, territoriality um but tempering it so that it doesn't lead to um you know uh, unnecessary conflict you know that we that we can resolve it and how do how do you know how um how do animals and how do we mark territory and how do they how do they govern that in a non-conflictual way i do it by weeing on everything i own yeah yeah <laughs> which might be why i've got such a low uber rating let me buy you a sharpie or two yeah that, that might yeah but there's this, the sort of I think the foundational theorem in economics here is the Coase theorem, which which essentially says that uh, obviously property is fundamental in economics. It's kind of you know who owns what and who what you're allowed to dispose of and what you're allowed to do to stuff that you own is is fundamental and it's probably fundamental to um, uh, you, you know to human decision making in general. You, there is a domain over which you have control, and that's your property. The things that you can do are defined by what is considered to be your property right so the thing and and so you know the things you are able to make decisions about are are also that that's defined by what is considered to be your property so for example i mean the you know let's say the president of the us or something i mean the the rights that he has as the holder of that office are his property they're legally defined property that you know the things that he can do the policies he can make are kind of his property you know that that's the that's that's the uh that's that's what doing that doing that job entails and uh the coast theorem says that if every single possible property were assigned to to everyone so if anything that could be owned was definitely and unambiguously owned by someone then uh, everything would be efficiently um allocated 
So uh, the classic example being polluting a river. So if you have a situation where, you know, you've got some factories upriver and you've got me downriver and I'm drinking the water, the factories, you know, they, they can dump stuff in the river and that's fine. And then I have to drink that and that's annoying. And whereas the Coast Theorem says, um, well, look, someone has to own that river. Someone has to. Do they have the right to pollute that river or do you have the right to have clean drinking water? And once we've decided who has, you know, which of those two things, because they can't both be true. So which of those things do you own? Then uh, then everything's cleared up because I can then I can then, you know, pay the factory. If, if I do, if I don't own the river, the fact if the factories own the river, then I can pay them to stop polluting it. But if I own it, then they have to pay me to be entitled to pollute it. And that's that's the, the idea, really. And it, so, you, you know, if in a sense, Property is fundamental. All of the things that go wrong, all of the things that go wrong in markets, all of the things that go wrong with the delivery of services and, and products, uh, all of the market failures are to do with property not being defined somewhere. Can we, I mean, given given that sort of defining fundamental of human behavior, can we imagine a different world where perhaps as we, in, in, the, in, the, in the new age where there's ever more opulence, ever, ever more sort of abundant resource, um, can we imagine a world where property is no longer a thing? I'm, I'm thinking of the kind of the world like uh, the Thomas More's Utopia or Capex or the the story after Fight Club, where there's no more no more ownership of anything. Can, could could there be a world in which um, we can still be productive? I, 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 well, I mean, it's interesting because because I because I think you know we're already at a stage for many of us where where resources are. Um, so abundant that we don't need to to, to sort of com- compete uh, against them, but uh, about them. And there are things which are um, sort of you, you know the the internet is something which is you know democratized. Elements of it are are owned, obviously. Um, but I, I I wonder whether we can conceptually move beyond the idea of property and territory just because of our evolutionary. Well, background no i think there's always there's necessarily going to be scarcity until we're able to do something really beyond what we can even possibly imagine about the way that we experience the world we you know whether we are necessarily limited in terms of um well let's obviously like there is only a certain amount of world there's only a certain amount of matter in the universe so there's there, that's going to always be a constraint somewhere and then time you know processes take a certain amount of time to happen and and then you know the time that you have consciously to spend doing things is also limited you know we can't fight that either so that there's there's always going to be some kind of rationing and some sort of you know sense of well i've got you know i've got to it's time time spent with my children it's time that i'm not let's say producing a new um you know writing a new concerto so you, you know that there that's there's already a situation where um someone has an incentive to give you know to give you to demand your time spent on something else well what what's going to make you spend time doing one thing or another thing um you know that you you someone might want to pay you to produce that concerto and they would have to do that because you know there's only a certain amount of you to go round yeah and i suppose the so, the issue is as as more and more things become automated so if you were able to say well i won't write the concerto but this um algorithm will yeah uh y- y- you know a- a- effectively as um 
you know, we we become uh, as time becomes less uh, less of a scarce resource because everything is done for us. What? Well, it's not what, still scarce though because you can only listen to one concerto at a time. So you know, th- there's how are you going to allocate? You know, how how are you going to know what to allocate time to? You know, there's yeah, and I. Yeah, well, no. I mean, go ahead. I'm slightly lost in the discussion, but if you've got a response to that, yeah, yeah go ahead. No, I was, I was actually going to sort of take it in a bit of a bit of a different different direction, which was, um, you know, in terms of uh, sort of digital property ownership. Um, there are, you know, um, there are a number of things which, uh, you know, technologies which actually starts to make shared uh, shared ownership of things so so like document creation for example um you know whereas before you would have your your own document that you were working on and then hand it over to somebody else now that document is shared collaboratively uh and you work on it simultaneously and there is no there is no ownership of that that document well, no, and there, no, but there is but because it's but it's collectively owned I mean, it's like it's like co- communism doesn't involve not having property. It just means that it's not exclusive to individuals. You know, if, if you have three people editing a document, r- the right to edit that document is a property that you own. Yeah, right. And so, that's, that's, that's right. Um, but but I think that collective ownership, which some of these technologies open up, creates additional problems that are you know fundamentally about. Um, well, but that's no territory. different to house sharing. I mean, that's the same as, yeah. as owning a house jointly. You've got the same problems, really. You know, do what, what are the rules that we have in this document? And, you, and as I said, you know, if you're going to go all kind of massively coast theorem on it, you might start to say, well, look, actually, I have the right. I own these words being in this document. Or do yeah. you? I mean, if we all agree that none of us own the words that are in the document, you know, then we can all just go and edit to our heart, heart's content. But in, but in theory, but you th- could so, have that. You so could. I think in a, in a physical environment, shared ownership, like in a shared house, you know, you might have the chair that you habitually sit on right and it becomes nick's nick's chair and we Due we kind the of particles get... of myself <laughs> that's become right infused. or you might um you, you know so you might have a habitual use where you you signal it out for yourself you might um leave your jacket on the chair or something something like that or uh you know you you might have some sort of rule where you you know um uh, like a, a social boundary which is you know nick gets to sit, sit on the chair on mondays and peter sits on it on tuesdays right now after and we, i've given it a wipe after you've given it a wipe yeah but we all of those for physical space and physical territory we we get that and we've got sort of mechanisms for um uh, f- for sort of prevent preempting disputes about it um and i think what's interesting is as you know we have shared ownership uh virtual shared ownership of things how do we how do we do those same things to to mark territory? How do we, you know, to um, set up rules to govern territory and, and so on? But anyway, I wanted to bring it back to seagulls. I just want to be sure about these seagulls of yours. Yeah. So are they, I've never heard of seagulls. Why are they dropping moss on your greenhouse? On your well, conservatory? I, that's what I, mean, I don't know. But I think it's, I, I, I think there must be something, either some some nutrient in the moss, which they are sort of, sifting through to to right. to get or something some parasite maybe they're trying or something to build a big putting the, green or something yeah or or they're just doing it to spite me which i wouldn't i wouldn't rule out and are your efforts definitely having an effect well they've they've migrated to next door's conservatory okay so, good yeah. so that's good yeah um nick you look like you were going to say something else. no no it's just about yeah, thinking about pests really 
I'm not too, too bothered about avian pests. It's more the the ones who live in your house, mice and uh, and moths, particularly drive me nuts. Because I feel like moths, they're not paying any rent, right? They just turn up and they eat your clothes. Really annoys me. But yeah, I mean, I I do get really annoyed with uh, pests, and um, I I uh, I used to, but I used to I used to give if if there was a, a a spider in my in my bedroom when I was a kid, I I used to feel guilty about just squashing them. So I used to read them a verbal warning. I'd give them I'd give them like two minutes to leave the room. And if they didn't, if they did, then I would squash them, and that would assuage my guilt. Okay. So I'm wondering if Chris ought to have some sort of have some I sort of form of words. I don't which think you so deserve it, frankly. I think I, should... I, I'm wondering if Chris is now fighting a proxy war via the seagulls with his next door neighbour, who's already admitted parks on his drive, or yeah. or is perceived to park. Yeah. On well, the next drive. thing that you should do is start putting putting uh, seagull feed on the next door's conservatory. <laughs> start firing it over. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we need to wrap up, but before we do, I don't just... think we've really substantially broken down the concept of property here. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, it's probably because it's so fundamental, it's pretty hard to analyse. Well, I don't think we've fully dealt with the concept of seagulls either, because actually there is no such thing as a seagull. Well, seagulls do have there a concept no... of property, right? I mean, they're territorial. They defend their nests. If Chris came round to one of their nests and started dropping moss on it, I'm sure they'd be annoyed by <laughs> they that. Never and yet them. they think nothing of doing that to us. I think, I think you're right. I mean, I'm on board with you. But you know, there's no actual thing as a seagull. So what we call seagulls are actually just, I mean, the the whole thing is the the gull family. Um, So they're actually gulls. Right. Um, And amongst those, one of the most common ones, which people tend to see at the seaside, are herring gulls, which tend to be the bigger ones. There's no actual thing called a seagull. Well, there is, Um, but but it's just a labor. Depends on how you... Who, who well, there is if we all imagine it. That, that, I mean, it, 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 it. There is a thing as a seagull. There's plenty of people who go, that's a seagull, but that's just a class that's not a, an official a zoological class. Yeah, but lots of people think there's a letter H as well. well it's like there's saying there's, there's no such thing as a tomato. There's just several different species of plants that are all called tomato. <laughs> no, well, no, that's what no, a tomato no, 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 is. No, 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 no. No, listen. <laughs> there is, it's like saying, you know, that there's, um, you know, it's like calling a crow an orange. It's not an orange, it's a crow. So in it's this case, just because like just because everyone says it's an orange doesn't mean it's actually really is an orange. All I right? can say is I wish there was no such thing as a seagull. <laughs> and, and you know, we no, send them well, over great. to Fraser's house, and he can look at them and yeah. go, "Well, that doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a real thing. It's an orange." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, look, we better stop there. Um, well, look, thank you as always for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Nick Hare, Chris Rag, and his seagulls, and or herring gulls, and Peter Cockhill. Thank, thank, thank you. They were quiet for the most of the recording. And until next time, bye bye. Mm-hmm.